Please open your Bibles to Psalm 84. This is another microwave sermon from lab. That's what my other preaching prof calls him. Uh, it is not another women passage. So if you were there last week, you remember the wonderful adventure that 1 Timothy 2 was for us. And a good, it was a good time. We'll be in another uh, a very good, very sweet passage. So Psalm 84, this is God's word. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in her courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you that we have just heard your word written for us. Your word says of itself that it is perfect, reviving the soul, when we come to you needing our souls to be revived. Many of us are discouraged or weary tired of fighting the many battles of life. Father, we pray that you would give us strength, encouragement, and comfort. For we look to you and we thank you that it is not uh, me who teaches, but the Lord Jesus himself who teaches us by his Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and our ears that we might hear and receive your word with gladness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What makes for a home away from home? I hope everyone here has at least one place that they can call that. Maybe it's uh, a parent's house or a getaway in the mountains. I have probably a handful or so that fit that bill. Uh, the one closest to my heart, I think, is this beach house in Surfside. It's just south of Myrtle. It's called uh, the Shangri-La. It's a simple layout. You've got uh, the kitchen in one corner, a living space in the center, and then bedrooms all around. Uh, my mom's parents started renting it out in the 80s and rented it every other year ever since. Um, and we'd pack them all in. My grandparents' four kids, their eight grandkids, different boyfriends and girlfriends over the years came as well. Some stayed, some didn't stay. Um, Nanny and Grandpa was the youngest of their eight grandkids. We stopped renting it when I was about 15 or so, and that was disappointing. But uh, recently we, uh, at least a couple of my mom's siblings rented it again, and 26-year-old Robert Still 26. He, was, he felt like a 14-year-old again. The six-and-a-half-hour drive flew by, and when we got there, I was amazed at how few of the 
simple flats like the Shangri-La were still around. A lot of them had been bought out and torn down and replaced with these high-rises. And it was great to be back, but I noticed something that first night there. The outlets in the house, they only had two prongs. So if you had a standard three-prong charger, you're out of luck. And then I noticed, it was a little alarming, the, some of the wood on the deck was rotted. I thought, we better not try and take our family picture here. Um, and then I noticed, you know, in the kitchen, the, the paint was this awkward aqua color, like something from the, the 60s or the 70s. And I, I was seeing all these issues in the house, and I remember asking myself, what's so great about this place again? <laughs> I tell you about the Shangri-La and all the memories I have because it captures, I think, what the writer uh, is getting at in Psalm 84. He's talking about his home away from home. I would argue the home away from home, actually, the the temple. That's the dwelling place of the Lord that he writes about in verse 1. And if you look at the first two verses of the psalm, you'll notice a great sense of desperation the psalmist feels for the temple. You might be wondering, why is the psalmist so desperate to be in the Lord's house? And we don't know exactly who wrote this psalm, but there's a good chance it was written by someone who didn't live very close to Jerusalem. Written by someone who didn't live in a place where it would be feasible to go to the temple whenever he felt like it. A good guess is that it was written by a priest uh, who lived in another part of Israel who probably spent most of his life unable to go to the temple. The closest thing he could get was conjuring up an image in his mind and thinking of the temple itself and As we think about that, we realize we're kind of in a different place than the psalmist. I imagine everyone drove past at least one or two other churches on their way here. And that's a good problem to have. We have churches coming out of our ears in the south. And that's a blessing. Uh, But, you know, God has uh, blessed us with a, a rich history of gospel preaching. Again, that's a blessing. And if I'm not mistaken, I think there are two churches in our presbytery where the gospel has been preached since before the founding of our country. Um, Tremendous blessing, but it does carry a risk, doesn't it? You know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And I trust that none of us have contempt for the local church, but maybe there's a risk that familiarity can lead to boredom. A touch of malaise, maybe a ho-hum attitude which can creep into our minds if we're not careful. As we go through the rest of the psalm, we're going to see the psalmist answering this question, what makes the church so lovely? For us living in the age of the New Covenant, that's the question because the temple is the church today. That's the equation. So what makes this church so lovely? And we're going to see the first reason uh, in verses 3 through 4 is that the church welcomes. The church is lovely because she welcomes. Look at verse 3. The switch is a bit striking, I think, isn't it? Verse 2 has this feeling of a grandeur, of immense joy, as the psalmist describes the thrill of singing praises to God, and then he thinks about the birds. Maybe you can imagine walking in the temple. When you think of the temple, what do we think of? The smell of blood? Maybe the cries of animals being slaughtered. But maybe we can imagine walking in, and you hear this chirping. And you look up, and you see a nest of a swallow and her young, and you... You read verse 3 and you say to yourself, that's so sweet, that's so precious, but why are we thinking of birds again? What's the, what's the point he's making? I think that the psalmist is talking about the nature of the church. Church is at the same time, I think, the most closed place and the most open place in the world. 
Sclosby has a very specific requirement for entrance. What do you have to do to join the church? You have to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's horribly offensive to Rome when the church was in its beginning form, and it's offensive today. At the same time, the church is also the most open place in the world. What other society or group in the world has space for people of every nationality, for people of every race, for rich and for poor, for artists and accountants, for young and old? We need to ask ourselves, are our churches open? Is our church open? Are they really open to whomever might want to come and worship the Lord, or the very least to check out what Christianity is about? Are we only happy to see those who dress like us, who look our age, who look like they could hold a conversation with us? It's worth asking ourselves. And the wonderful blessing in verse 4 is that all who come to the church legitimately, not to take in a show or pacify a friend, but to worship the Lord, they really do find blessing. And that leads us to our next point. The church is not only because she welcomes, the church is also lovely because she strengthens. Look at the change of emphasis in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now here the, the psalmist is not talking to the temple itself, but to the Lord. And when we think about it, that makes sense. We Americans, we like to think of Christianity as part public and part private. Maybe we think the church is a good place to be on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but what really counts is whether I read my Bible by myself, whether I'm praying by myself, and that's not wrong. We know we can experience God's presence anywhere and anytime. That's the blessing of having the Holy Spirit. Uh, But for the Jews, and they knew God was everywhere, I think, but they understood God's presence a bit differently, with different emphasis, at least. They understood God's presence as being more tied to the temple itself. In my Hebrew exegesis class, we worked through chapter 2 where Jonah prays to the Lord from the belly of the fish and he writes in a striking way, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I hate to tell you, Jonah, but looking to a building isn't going to do you much good. But what's he talking about? He's talking about looking to the Lord. To look to the temple is to look to the Lord because they go together. So meditating on the Lord for Jews and for us should never be abstract. It has a concrete focus. The temple itself is where Jews met and worshipped the Lord, where they worshipped Yahweh. That's why they found strength there. Not in encountering God in nature or in their prayer closet, but being in the house of the Lord. The house that Solomon built for the Lord. That's true strengthening. And then we see this reference in verse 6 to the Valley of Baca. Scholars are not in agreement on what this Valley of Baca is, but it sounds like the Hebrew for weeping. And I think that makes sense because how else do a bunch of people create springs? Well, it's through tears, through copious tears, many tears. So we have in verse 6 an image of difficulty, trial. Why were the saints weeping on their way to Zion? What was the nature of their trials? Well, it could have been the difficulty of the journey, or perhaps just the longing itself to finally get to Jerusalem and be with the Lord and his people. Or maybe it was a secret, unknown struggle. 
Maybe they thought of family members who wouldn't be joining them that year because last year they had passed away. In any event, we see a a strange but wonderful effect. Verse 7, as they get near to the temple, it says they go from strength to strength. The weeping lessens and is gradually replaced with shouts of joy, which the psalmist spoke of in the beginning. It's funny how the devil tempts us in this way, isn't it? Satan would have us believe that when times get really bad, the church is the last place you need to be. And what are the thoughts he puts in your head? Why do you want to go and worship God? He's the one that puts you in this mess. Or maybe he tells you, what does the Bible really have to say about what you're going through? Why bother being vulnerable and sharing your struggles with the people at church? They don't understand your pain. You ever had those thoughts? In your mind, I have. Brothers and sisters, I I urge you when the devil tempts you like that, don't listen. In the weeks where life becomes hardest, the church is where you need to be the most. It's where you'll find perspective in the worship of, of God, and it's where you'll find hope in hearing of the Lord Jesus and His love and care for you. I think it's where you'll find comfort in fellowshipping with the people of God. Remember that next time life's challenges overweigh you. So we've seen first that the church is lovely because she welcomes. We've seen also that the church is lovely because she strengthens. And following a, an interlude of prayer and petition in verses 8 and 9, we see lastly that the church is lovely because she is where blessing is to be found. In verse 10, we see a verse I hope you recognize and remember. For a day is... And your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Do you believe that? Do you feel that? I mean, sure, it's great to be in the house of God to worship Him with other believers, but a doorkeeper? That's a little demeaning. I mean, after all, I have so much to offer the church. I have my education. And my magnetic personality, not me, I'm speaking hypothetically. I have such wisdom to offer from my many life experiences. Why should we stoop so low? Why would we accept such a low rank? It's because the Lord is there. In the temple, in the church, and he's the one who blesses. Because we look at verse 11, the Lord is a son. The Lord gives light. Think of the Lord Jesus' declaration of himself in John 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus gives you direction and strength by his Holy Spirit in the dark times, and he gives us comfort and warmth as well. The Lord also is a shield. He protects us against our enemies. The Lord being a shield is a common image in the Psalms that doesn't make its way into the New Testament, but think of another of Christ's statements about himself. John 10. I am the good shepherd, he says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's appropriate that the psalmist would think of the Lord as a shield about journeying to worship, I think. The Lord not only blesses us here when we come to him in worship, but he sustains us in between, week by week. And he will sustain you this very week. Look at the promise at the end of verse 11. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Wait, really? No good thing? I bet we could each name at least a few good things we'd like to have in our lives right now, maybe a couple dozen. Maybe it feels too good to be true right now. And maybe we wonder as we look at that part, maybe we're the problem. If we're suffering, maybe it's because we feel like we lack God's blessing in our lives because of our sin. Maybe if we messed up less in life, we would reap the benefits more. Is that a good way to think as Christians? Well, it's sometimes true that we need to remember that a sin has consequences in time and space. The cross doesn't obliterate those. I had a friend who was arrested a few years ago for driving with an expired license, had to do hours of community service as a result. And his pastor would tell him, you are completely forgiven in God's eyes, but the state of Georgia still has a thing or two for you to do. (laughs) But remember, even so, that God's commitment to blessing his people is rooted ultimately in his own character. It's not in your uprightness, but in Christ's righteousness that God sees you and deals with you. It's because God withheld all good things from Christ on the cross, even though he never failed to walk uprightly, that he can now freely, with Christ, give you all things. That's the source, Christ. That's the basis of our blessings. Again, if you forget to renew your license, you're going to get in trouble. And if you're in a time where you're persisting in sin, you'll get in bigger trouble, even if you're a believer. But you need to know that in those times where it feels like God's blessings aren't falling on you but on everyone else, it doesn't mean God is mad at you. It means that he loves you. It means that he's committed to making you holy and ready for heaven. He often does that through suffering. What have we been talking about in this text? My three points have been the church is lovely because she welcomes, because she strengthens, and because... She's where blessing is to be found. And I hope you've noticed something as we've been working through this text. We've said the psalm is about the church, but we've been talking a lot more about God, and that's intentional. The church has no power in herself to bless at all. We're not Roman Catholics here. We don't believe that the church has inherent ability to bestow blessing. No, blessings are from God. Every good thing is from God above. But how does God get good things to you. How does God welcome? How does God strengthen? How does he bless? If you remember my opening illustration, you remember that I kind of left you hanging. I told you about all these great memories at this beach house and then gave a couple criticisms and then moved on. So what made the Shangri-La so great? It wasn't the building, it was the people. It was the memories. It was memories of us sitting out on that porch with rotted wood playing dominoes and enjoying some shrimp and grits at the kitchen table. And what makes the church so great? Is it our awesome building? Is it the building we're going to have? Yes, it is. But more than that, it's the people. Will worshiping in our new building be a better thing? Well, yes, because hopefully we'll be packing in more people, more saints. The saints are what make the church amazing because the saints are where God is. God's place of dwelling is not ultimately in a building, but it's in us, his people. His people together, especially when they gather to worship him. So how does God bless his people? How does God bless us? Blesses us through our pastor. 
who opens his word to us and explains and applies it to us. He blesses us through our officers, through that monthly phone call you get from your elders or from the helpful service you get from your deacons. God blesses us through our women who serve in the nursery, who cook lots of food that we can enjoy at flocks and the fellowship dinner. And he blesses us through the laughter of the kids, so many of whom I have no doubt already have come to know and love the Lord. So do you love the church? Do you love God's people? Well, if you do, I exhort you to learn to love her more. Learn to know her more. Learn to know the individuals more. Get to know them. Ask them questions. Not because each person is special in their own right. There's a lot of talk about that going on in our world. But because God has made his saints special through sending his spirit into our hearts. And through giving us gifts to build up the body and to build up you. So enjoy and cherish and be nourished in this church, your church, because she exists for you, that you might know the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks for your church because she is lovely. We come from many walks of life, many places, but you have called us and gathered us together to be one body, to worship you, to walk through life together, that we might be with you and know you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in Psalm 84. I pray that your words would dwell on our hearts richly, that we might worship you more gladly and with greater knowledge of our Savior, through whom we pray to you. Amen.